one who knows the Mississippi will promptly aver. I think that's. I think I said that right. Not aloud, but to himself, that ten thousand river commissions with the minds of the world at their back cannot tame that lawless stream, cannot curb it or confine it. They cannot say go here or go there and make it obey. They cannot save a shore which it has sentenced, cannot bar its path with an obstruction which it will not tear down, dance over, and laugh at. That is a quote from our guy, Mark Twain, good old Samuel Langhorn Clemens, about the mighty Mississippi River. Um, And... Today's guest, I was trying to get on for a long, long time, and I was very excited. I was following him and his girlfriend's journey this summer as they paddled the whole entire beast itself from source uh, to sea. And just a little bit of background for me, I grew up on the shores of the Mississippi River. I grew up in a town uh, called Muscatine, Iowa. Um, I like to say, fun fact, it's where the Mississippi River goes east and west. It's that big curve, like if Iowa was a big nose, right, had a giant nose, um, we would be the like underneath nostril, we'd be like the hanging down booger of the Mississippi River. Um, It's where the river goes east and west. And um, there were moments in my childhood where I literally grew up with the Mississippi in my backyard. Um, My dad moved down to a little house and the river was the backyard you know um i'd look out his window we'd sit on the porch we'd walk down there we had a little bank that we'd go to we'd find crawdads and and all that his neighbor had a dock um and a ramp a boat ramp we'd be able to put our boat in and so i spent hours and hours and hours of my life on the mississippi and you know, if you're out there and you've grown up in in a place with like mountains or, um, you know, the ocean or, or something like that, like during your childhood, you kind of just take it for granted. That's just a thing that's around. You know what I mean? Like we'd go have fun on the river. It'd be a blast. But, you know, in my childhood paradigm, my childhood perspective, the Mississippi was just a thing that we had. It just was a thing that existed. I didn't think about it. I didn't think about its mightiness, you know. And then as you get older, you know, you read Huck Finn, the classic, and you realize that this river, which you've always lived with, you've always been around, is this window into an epic adventure, you know. And But but even reading Huck Finn you never really thought that that was something that people would do. You know, I would look out the back window at my dad's house and just see barges, these giant boats pushing stuff from factories um, heading down the river. And I, I would try my best to imagine a couple dudes on a raft with a big pole, like a wooden raft with a big pole going down it. I even remember at one point in, in high school, um, uh, building like a wooden raft not for the mississippi we would have sunk instantly uh but building it for my friend jake reed's uh pond that he had in in uh by his house and putting that in there and 
and really trying to like do that, you know, like you just tried to do the Huck Finn thing, you know, um, if we would have put it on the river, we would have sunk, we would have capsized, uh, within five seconds probably. Um, but it was just that thing. And I never thought people could actually paddle down it. You know, I thought we'd pass that time. I thought, oh, hey, like this was something maybe people did in the past, but we're past that now. Um, and then you'd hear about these adventurers who'd go out and they would give it a shot. And it was so inspiring to me. And now I've moved on. You know, I don't live in Muscatine anymore. Um, but I think back on that town fondly. And whenever I'm back, like I love going for a run next to the river. I I feel the power of it now because I have more of a perspective as an adult. And I've heard of these handful of people that will go out and they'll give it a shot, you know. And so I, I stumbled upon uh, today's guest, Matthew Hinks and his girlfriend, Jen. I stumbled upon them. Uh, just looking through adventure films on YouTube and I found Matthew's channel like a few years ago, probably. Um, and it's just called first church of the masochist hikes, <laughs> um, which I, I loved the name instantly. So I instantly subscribed simply because it was an awesome name. And this is a dude that's going out and experiencing these big adventures, a lot of them backpacking and, and things like this. Um, but then the summer I see that they're headed out on the river. They got a canoe, they got some paddles, they, uh, they're going for it. And I loved it. I was like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. So I reached out and I was like, Hey man, I'm from like a town on the Mississippi river. I never actually got the chance to meet somebody who was doing this. Um, can I please hear about your adventure when you're finished? And that's what today's episode's about. And I have to say, like, sitting down with someone who's paddled it, this is the thing about adventure that I love, is he went out, they went out and actually, like, experienced it. You know what I mean? And through that experience, they learned so much about the river. Uh, so many things that even a person like me who grew up on the thing his for, you know, my my childhood and my first probably... 18 years of life, uh, there's things in this episode Matthew talks about. I'm like, dude, I never even thought about that or I never even realized that that was a thing with the Mississippi. So um, so I'm so excited for this episode and I'm so honored uh, to sit, be able to sit down and talk with Matthew um, about this. I hope you all enjoy. This is quite the epic adventure. Um, if you do want visuals uh, with some of his stories, uh, you can go check out his YouTube channel, uh, which is, like I said, First Church of the Masochist Hikes. Um, here's just some notes I wrote down following this journey as we went. Uh, sandbar flooding near Cape G, which he'll get into that story. Um, hundreds of dead fish every day in certain parts. River alligators, which blew my mind, but then I'm like, duh, of course there'd be river alligators. Um, and then I wrote this and thank God I didn't do this. This was just a, a crazy dream where I said, I, this was a note to myself. I said, do the whole interview based on lyrics from CCR's proud Mary or Johnny Cash's big river. 
aka the two best songs about the Mississippi River. And I wimped out and I did not do it. But right now, in honor of those songs, you should pause it and play both those songs. They're awesome. So, and they're about the Mississippi River. Um, but yeah, this is a long intro. So let's get into it. This is Like a Bigfoot podcast with Matthew Hengst. I, t- I tell the students in the wilderness class, I respond to Matt, Matthew, hey, you, variety of curse words. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this week I am beyond honored to have Matthew Hanks on the podcast. Uh, Matthew, you got you do all these cool things, man. You do the Masochist <laughs> Hikes, which is the Church of the Masochist Hikes, which is uh, amazing. And actually, I was going to tell you before I st- kind of stumbled upon your Mississippi journey, I realized I had gone down a YouTube rabbit hole like a few years earlier on some of your stuff. So, um, yeah, you do these amazing things and you just recently came off an adventure canoeing down the Mississippi River. And um, as someone who grew up on the Mississippi River in Iowa, I have I was like, I have to hear about this. So I'm psyched to have you on, man. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so many things I want to, I want to hear about, but I'll kind of want to hear just kind of like the origin story of the first church of the masochist, uh, on YouTube. Like how did that all start? Just as far as the channel name or the channel itself or in general, what, yeah. However, however you want to explain it. So the, the channel name was kind of a joke. It started years ago because I used to do weekend warrior sort of hikes. And here I was trying to get somebody to do, you know, like a 10 peak hike on a Sunday. And I sent out an email to everybody going, yeah, you can go to church on Sunday or you can come join the first church of the massacres. So that became kind of like an ongoing joke. And that was my webpage name when I was just documenting my peak bagging stuff. Then in uh, 2019, I was working for a company uh, in Southern California, tech company. I was in IT for 20 years. It was in the process of going down underneath me. Uh, latest in a series and uh, my girlfriend Jen convinced me you know you're massively unhappy here maybe you should just take the summer off and it was right in the middle of where a bunch of other stuff was going on I had multiple friends who had passed away or had life-altering medical things that changed their ability to do any of this stuff when they retired yeah so I just basically reached screw it and so took the three months off Uh, that turned into two months in Thailand doing a dive master which turned into, well, everything's disrupted. What if we just sold everything, put everything into storage and uh, did the Pacific Crest Trail? And I'd wanted to do that for 10 years. So that's what we did. We got rid of the apartment. Uh, We got a van and a storage locker, basically pared it down to just outdoor gear and started living out of local campgrounds. And then we started uh, the Pacific Crest Trail in the summer of 2020, which nothing else happened yeah. at all. Yeah, well, I'm sure that it was, was pretty normal. quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, so that that was, you know, five months through 2020, which was awesome yeah. due to, you know, COVID. There wasn't <laughs> as many people out there. Yeah. It was an experience like no other. And then I, I completed this thing I'd wanted to do for 10 plus years. So yeah. it's kind of like if you ask for a raise and your boss gives it to you instantly, right? You aim too low. So three months to the day later, I was actually flying out to Key West, Florida, and I hiked something called the Eastern Continental Trail, which is the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,200 miles or so, plus a bonus 3,000. So I went from Key West, Florida to the northern tip of Nova Scotia before winter basically came in. (laughs) 
And that included the Florida Trail, the Pinhoti, the Appalachian Trail, and the International Appalachian Trail. Wow. Which at that point, okay, I've now done two of the big three trails. So you kind of have to do the third one at that point. Yeah. So the following year was the CDT. Uh, that ran into some roadblocks. Yeah. After about 1,900 miles, I ended up catching COVID, uh, recovering on trail. Literally stuck at a trailhead up at 12,000 feet. Can you tell why my trail name is Masochist? Yeah, I know. You're just like, hey, yeah. I'm inviting this on myself. <laughs> Continued on after that. A week and a half later, I came down with Noro out of nowhere, and that did a number on me. That forced me off the trail, so that was done for that season. Um, I'd already promised Jen that we were going to do a big trip, assuming the CDT would be done. Yeah. And we had just kind of accidentally come across the fact that paddling the Mississippi was a thing. <laughs> Like, obviously, I knew about the Mississippi River. I've read Huck Finn. Jen has not. But we came across a write-up by somebody saying, oh, yeah, it's this thing. And it it talked about how there was just, like, spectacular camping on the entire thing. Yeah. And we're reading it going, huh, that, that's doable and different. What if we yeah. just kind of did that, that? Yeah. So we built the summer around that. And then I did a thousand mile through hike right before and now i'm just about to head back to the cdt right after so yeah dude okay so i have been busy i have to take you take it back to you mentioned yeah. the idea of like well i've already disrupted everything you know like nor normalcy you know whatever that yeah. would be um and i want to hear about that like what do you think is the power of disruption and should it be something to fear? Cause we do fear that a lot. I feel like where it's like, I have my routines, I have my normal C quote unquote, but I do think there's a power to disrupting all that and seeing what happens and understanding like you can be adaptable. Yeah. I mean, I'd been working in it for 20 years. The only time I'd not had a paycheck was during the tech burst, which yeah. is a scary thing. You've got bills and everything. So yeah. It was a big, hard step, ironically, for me to quit my job. Jen really had to like, argue for it, even though it wasn't the best job and all this other stuff. And I had basically been uh, wanting to do the Pacific Crest Trail for 10 years at that point, and I couldn't figure out how to like manage it with rent, car payments, everything else. So basically, once I took the first step, it was kind of shocking just how doable it was. Yeah. You know, your expenses go from here to here because you're not just spending money trying to, you know, keep yourself happy or distracted. Yeah. Um, we, we started living a very kind of minimalist life in a lot of ways, and it wasn't nearly as comfortable. I mean, we're literally in campgrounds and we have to move around pretty much constantly. Yeah. So, you know, you get used to having to live off of a solar panel and all that stuff. Um, but it did allow us to do this and it's allowed us to kind of reset everything where we still don't have a home base. We have, you know, a very full storage locker Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, we move around a lot and we're just back in Southern California now for winter, but it, uh, kind of made me look at the last, you know, 10 plus years where I'd wanted to do the PCT and I was kind of too afraid to just kind of set everything aside and try it. And it's not exactly that I wish I'd done it then because the follow-up things I've been able to do now, I wouldn't have been able to do if I did this as a, you know, 25 year old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it certainly has kind of uh, been shocking just how, how much I was building it up in my own mind versus the actual challenges, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I, I kind of want to hear just about that real quick too, before we get to the Mississippi river is just the idea of like, how was this built up in your mind, you know, in, in pot, like good ways and bad ways, you know, like 
obviously the challenge of being just dropping everything and doing it builds up but like was the pct like was it as like magical and as spectacular as you imagined or was it was it more difficult or what i it was actually uh kind of a big scary thing when i started it just because we were in the middle of the COVID lockdowns so yeah. the first round of lockdowns had just ended so i started not knowing if i was going to have to get off trail jen mm. was resupplying me from her car yeah because we were having to move around all of that and I had never done anything longer than about 200 miles. I'd never had to take a zero day. Uh, resupplying wasn't a thing. You know, there were all these factors. And I didn't know if my body was going to hold up. Yeah. I had overuse injuries and I had a messed up knee. I took a 25 foot fall in a mountaineering trip years ago. <laughs> so I hoped I could do it. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And that year, I literally started on May, the evening of May the 4th, and there was nobody else around. Yeah. For the first week, the only people I'd run into were doing like 30 mile days and shooting past me. Yeah. So there was a lot of stress kind of initially on a, am I going to be able to complete this? Am I going to have to jump off? Am I going to be able to hold up? And am I going fast enough? Yeah. And eventually I ran into others and it kind of became normalized. I'd say, you know, after the first couple of hundred miles, you kind of settle in. I had an Achilles injury around mile 500. So, uh, you know, that was probably the low point as far as thinking this might get taken away from me. And then after that, it was just glorious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you have a struggles and all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a favorite kind of like section of that? <clears throat> to me, the cool thing was literally the, doing the distance. Um, like I'd been all up and down the Sierra Nevada. I'd done the JMT several times. Yeah. So there's really pretty areas like Goat Rocks, but. I think overall it was just Oregon because at that point I was settled in and just kind of cruising and I was able to do 25 mile days pretty easily. Yeah. And it just, it felt like I was way up there. That was a sense that continued because it's not like you're going through populated areas on the PCT. It's not like the AT where it's like, oh yeah, there's a park, there's a house, you know? Yeah. 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 It just felt more and more remote and I loved that feel. Yeah. yeah. What was it that like, I don't know, because obviously you finish, some people finish it and they're like, that was a great accomplishment. And now I'm not going to do that for a while. And you were just like, I'm all in. What, like, what captured your heart and imagination on that? Well, again, we'd already disrupted things. We'd gotten rid of everything. We had our storage locker. We had all of that. So it was certainly a possibility. Um, we had talked about maybe doing one of the big hikes every couple of years once yeah. I got into it. I'm like, oh, this is really great. And then um, just the massive kind of, it's a real special feeling when you get up and it's like 2,600 miles and you've made it and you're just looking back on everything you've done. So I was just so taken by it at that point. I didn't want to wait another year to then go do another trail. I wanted to do it right away. Yeah. And it started with, okay, well, I'll do the Florida trail because the wilderness class was going to be shut down. And then oh, well, if we don't do any dive thing, uh, don't have me work over the summer, then I can do the Florida Trail, <laughs> then the AT. And then yeah. I realized you could connect them. <laughs> so uh, there was a really funny text thread with my girlfriend going, actually, what if I left on like December 28th? <laughs> yeah. We were like, what if I actually end in Nova Scotia? How about that? It was supposed to be Quebec. Turns out Quebec is really difficult to deal with. So I almost had to stop in New Brunswick and I made a last minute detour to continue the IAT over through PEI and Nova Scotia. Reached the end of Nova Scotia and then I didn't have enough time to do Newfoundland, but I didn't really want to stop at North Sydney. 
Yeah. So I hiked 108 miles to the very, very northern tip of Nova Scotia, a place called Meat Cove, and like literally hit a cliff. And it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> now I can stop 5,000 miles, good round number. Yeah, you're just like, I was just waiting to hit a cliff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. just waiting for that to happen. Uh, go until there's no going anymore. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> is there any, like, I don't know, does it feel different to hike when you're up in Canada, or is it similar at that point? It was a lot more mellow. I mean, up there, it's a lot more of a route uh, than a oh, straight really? trail. Okay. So, yeah, like on the Appalachian Trail itself, it, you are basically on a dirt trail the entire time and rocks yeah. and other South of there, uh, when I was going through Alabama before getting to the AT, you're on roads and ATV mm. tracks, things like that. That was occasionally stressful because you have to camp at night. Camping at night means stealthing, actually stealthing, AKA you're camping in a place where people really shouldn't discover you're there. Yeah, yeah. And it's in Alabama where, I mean, I had somebody at one point pull up, go here, take my extra gun. There's some dogs ahead. You may need it. Other people had landowners show up and like rouse them with a shotgun at night, you know, versus I'm up at Canada and like, I'm talking to the locals. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of like stealthing around here. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, this is Canada. Nobody's gonna, they're just probably gonna offer you a drink if they find you out there. Yeah. So it was a lot more mellow except uh, there was one time when a timber harvesting operation started up about 200 feet from me at 4 a.m. Other than that, very <laughs> <laughs> Just trees coming down. You're just like, uh-oh. Yeah, all of a sudden, like, chainsaws and crashing, and yeah. But yeah, in general, it, it was a cool feeling, especially once I got to Nova Scotia, because they don't really have a culture of thru-hiking up there. Yeah. So I had people who were driving a couple of hours to track me down because they've been following my videos. No way. I was walking past the hospital and all of a sudden I hear, wait, and this lady comes running out in scrubs going, I just heard about you and I wanted to come and meet you. And I'm like, you weren't in surgery, right? <laughs> so that, that was fun. I mean, the energy on these lesser known trails are part of what I really enjoy. And that's what I enjoyed about the Mississippi too. Yeah. You get out on the Appalachian Trail or like the PCT these days. And there's almost so many people, some of the towns are exhausted. Yeah. The lesser known trails, it, it's, you find people are really supportive, but you're kind of the oddball out. Yeah. Not to mention, it's always entertaining to have that conversation with people where you explain what you're doing and they're like, so you don't work and you just walk all day. And it's like, yeah, pretty much. That pretty much describes it. Yeah. Well, I have to say this. So just to speak to that whole idea of like, I think it's so cool. It would be such a cool experience if I just was randomly talking to someone and they were like, hey, I'm canoeing the whole entire Mississippi River. I would be like, stop everything you're doing and talk with me for hours at this point. You know what I mean? And uh, so, you know, growing up in I grew up in Muscatine, Iowa, uh, and I have to say on behalf of Muscatine, I apologize for the coffee shop that wouldn't let you fill up water there. I watched the video and I was like, (laughs) Muscatine. I'm like, really? I'm like, dude, this like these two people are like coming off of the river from Minnesota and you're like <laughs> not going to like let them fill up water. That's crazy. But uh, but I will say, like, I just think it would be fascinating to meet somebody who is doing that because I at one point my backyard, my dad's backyard was the river mm-hmm. and I don't think I ever met anybody canoeing down it and i i always wanted to i always thought that was so cool so yeah can you tell me like where did this idea and inspiration come from and i know jen did it with you and i know she was a big part of it um yeah so yeah was it her idea or was it your idea 
No, I literally came across, I, I'm always looking for other long distance ideas because yeah. it's like, okay, well now I'm closing in, I'm out on the CDT. If that had been successful, I would be done with the triple crown, like a thing I never thought I'd do. So the only obvious thing is start looking other ideas and bigger and better things. And I just happened to come across, I think we were looking at other paddles because we had done like Greater River, Utah, and some of these shorter 200 miles came across this. And it's like, huh, that's cool. Cross the uh, country in a different way. Yeah. Saw that it allowed camping the entire way. And that was pretty much all it took to take to sell us because it was something different. Um, it wasn't something that was even on our radar, but it seemed big and cool. And the fact that only, you know, 30 some people try and do it every year makes for that kind of smaller community thing that I like. Yeah. And all those encounters, the people coming along, uh, we would find people fishing along the way, like you were saying, and they'd ask, where'd you come from? And we had source to sea written on the side of our boat. And we go, oh yeah, you know, Minnesota, Itasca, yada, yada. And just the look as their jaw dropped. Yeah. Usually a curse word or two was uttered and they were just like shocked. Yeah. And that, and I really enjoy having those encounters because like at one point that was me in the Sierra Nevada finding out that you could walk Mexico to Canada. Yeah. So that's my favorite part of kind of sharing all this stuff is it puts it on people's radar and who knows, maybe they go off and do, you know, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. We did, uh, this is a really weird way of putting this question, but you know, in like a Western movie where like all the people, the, the people who live in the town are there, but then like Clint Eastwood like strolls into town and like takes care of business. And then the ending is literally he's riding off into the sunset. Did you feel like that at all? Like you stroll, you, you two are strolling into town, you know, maybe meeting people, maybe not, but then, but then you're, you're coming, you're leaving the next day. Like, I just think that's kind of a cool, like mindset to be in. I mean, it, it definitely gives you a different feel as you're going through. I tend to be more aware of just how much we stand out and we look homeless, especially, you know, once <laughs> my beard gets bushy. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, like on ECT, my beard was down to here. <laughs> so, you know, I would be sitting outside of a 7-Eleven next to an actual homeless guy and somebody would try and give me the dollar and it'd be like, no, man, actually happened more than once. Yeah. Uh, so it, it feels awesome kind of strolling in and out. My favorite was when we had the boat with us. Yeah, <laughs> because like we went down to Cater Street in New Orleans and just like all activity on the street stopped and everybody's like looking at us going by. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no. That's and dope. same thing going through Minneapolis. There's about a mile and a half portage to get around St. Anthony Falls, Block Zero, yeah. which they closed to block the Asian carp. And yeah, just running into people who are just out on a stroll, you know, doing their uh, afternoon jog. And just seeing how floored they are, that that was the cool. And part. you two are just Mostly, like carrying your boat. I had it on rollers, so I okay. had a giant orange, a giant green backpack, a two and a half gallon jug. We had a solar box in the other hand, and yeah, we're just strolling down seventeen foot canoe, trying to maneuver that up to Cater Street was hilarious. <laughs> You know, all that's the people are just kind of like, huh, don't see that here all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's like my dream though, is to see that. You know, I'd be like, whoa. That's so awesome. Uh, I do have to ask this, like, just to kind of transition from the hiking thing. Is it going to be weird? Like, you're getting back on CDT. Like, you were just sitting for months at this point, and now you're going <laughs> to yeah. be walking. It's completely opposite. It is. And, I mean, I was doing another thru-hike right before this. My warm-up oh, yeah. for this season, I tried to do the Arizona Trail, only to have them close the northern part. So I did 200 miles of the Arizona Trail. Uh, snow damage up in the Grand Canyon. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 
So I hiked from the Mexican border up to Phoenix, at which point I jumped on the Grand Enchantment Trail and hiked 800 miles from Phoenix over to Albuquerque. <laughs> got off the trail, came basically where I am now in Colorado, got the stuff and went. So it's not like I haven't been hiking for a year, but it is going to be a big adjustment, especially when we were really cooking on the river. We were doing 50-mile days. Wow. I'm going to be starting in Colorado where you're up above 11,000 feet for most of it. So, you know, a 15 to 20 mile day is a good solid day. So all of a sudden, you know, my mileage, my mental map of it has to slow down a bit. Yeah. You just have to not look at a map ever while you're doing this. That's the strategy. (laughs) I, I basically just plan one stop ahead. So I know I'm going, you know, from Grand Lake to Winter Park and then I have things kind of marked out, but too much happens to plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Every stop you basically just plan for the next one. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, so, you know, coming back to the Mississippi river, um, I have a lot of different questions, especially from following the journey. There was, it seemed like there's a lot of obstacles, which, which are very specific to the river, which is kind of cool. Um, I do want to hear just in general, like, are there different like flavors kind of for different sections? Like I noticed, by the time you got down to Louisiana, obviously you're down there with the giant ships and you're in the tiny canoe. And that picture you posted was absolutely mind blowing. Um, which <laughs> yeah, it was the, the coolest picture. Yeah. With the oil tanker. And, but I just like, what, if you had to break down the Mississippi into like different sections, like how would you, how would you do that? Or would you not at all? No, I've seen it done a couple of ways. I mean, honestly, the one that makes sense to me is, you, you have the headwaters, which is, you know, uh, you're starting at Itasca. That was where it was just so small. We were having to get out, walk the boat. That's where we were having to jungle gym over all these down trees. It, it was, you know, days before we even saw the first little boat. No barges. It's all just wreck traffic. And we would have some portages around dams and things. But in general, it felt really remote. That was also when we had nightmare levels of mosquitoes, ticks, things like that. Uh, once we got to Minneapolis, all of a sudden, big exciting thing, we have our first lock. And mm. locks are basically how they change the your level on the river. It's part of their management to make sure the river stays nine feet deep so the barges can traverse it. Okay. So after we went through Minneapolis, we got to go through lock one, which you go into this giant chamber, they drop you down, and then you get to continue out the other side along with millions of gallons of water. Okay. And that changed, and that was for the next um, about 650 miles or so, Okay. um, where it's just every day or so, you've got one of these locks to go through. Okay. So that can kind of affect uh, how your timing is, things like that. Yeah. that basically got us all the way down to St. Louis. So that would be two sections. You've got Headwaters Lock, St. Louis. All of a sudden, you go through the last lock, you're across chain of rocks, and the river just gets big. Yeah. Uh, there are barges all over the place because all of a sudden, they don't have to just stay three wide to fit through the locks. They, mm. We saw seven wide. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just wide open. Um, it's also where the river gets a lot faster because at one point, the Missouri River came in, and we just started flying. Yeah. So yeah, the current, it was just like a night and day change. We were getting three miles an hour just sitting in the boat. Yeah. Um, which apparently that's uh, slow. For a high water year, I've heard of people reaching 10 miles an hour paddling with current because everything was going down. We were a very low water year, so yeah. we maxed out at like five or six paddling with the current. And then, so the big river section is another 830 miles or so. 
And then you get to old river lock and there's this basically option. Most people take the, uh, uh, the atch horrible at pronouncing things. And that goes out to the Gulf and ends at Burns point. Um, the other route is you basically can keep going on the Mississippi down past Baton Rouge, New Orleans. That's Mm. where you start getting the big tankers and it ends at headed passes slash Venice slash Port Eads. Okay. Which one did you, you guys chose the second one then? Uh, we did both of them. Oh, that's what um, I thought. Because, okay. Yeah. yeah. We were originally going to do the Atch. Jen was really excited about that one because it described it more like the headwaters, quieter, mm. gators everywhere, no big yeah. traffic. Yeah. So she was really excited for that. Um, I was kind of drawn to New Orleans, but we started making 50 mile days on the big river section, which <laughs> is awesome. Crazy. We're just yeah. like sailing, you know. And so I broached the subject, as I have a tendency to do, of, is there any way I could convince you to maybe we just do both of them? And she didn't just like tip the boat over or anything on me. And we were able to make that work. Yeah. So we did the atch. We got down to the river um, on day 65, stayed there overnight, and then got a ride back to Old River Lock. And then we spent another 10 days going out by New Orleans. That's cool. So we got the complete package. I think we're the only people who have done those two back to back. Normally, that, if people have done them both, they did one and then came back and did the other. Well, that speaks to the experience. You guys must have found a lot that you enjoyed on it. We we like long distance travel and the whole living out of a boat and setting up camp every day. You know, there's obviously struggles and parts that drag, but we just really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah. And even with we had a massive heat wave every day when we were uh, south of Memphis, it was over 100 degrees. I mean. There's a picture of Jen's back and the heat rash is worse than I've seen outside of like a medical textbook. But we were still enjoying the overall thing and we weren't ready for it to end. Yeah. So when we realized we were going to finish early, it's not like we really had a house to go back to or anything. Yeah. So we had the time. We would rather be out. She basically uh, flew home on a Sunday and then Monday was the prep day for her first day of school. Yeah. So, we, you know, we made the timing work out. I just yeah, love we just, that because we ready for it to end. Yeah, yeah. There's so many like the first day of school back with the staff is like, tell us about your summer, and she's like, I got off the Mississippi River yesterday. <laughs> yeah, she kind of won for the uh, what did you do this summer? She was asking me for pictures for their like staff slideshow. So oh, that's so cool. That's, that's and then like... of course she flew into the middle of a hurricane because there was that first hurricane. Oh yeah, tropical storm to land. Then there was a 5.1 earthquake in the middle of it. Yep. I heard and then we wrapped up that. her first week with there was a mass shooting out there. So it's just been. <laughs> Welcome back to reality, unfortunately. <laughs> like, holy smokes. Uh, yeah. So on you mentioned uh, the heat, which I saw. Like, I mean, it's summer, but but still. Are you guys just splashing each other the whole time? You know, like trying to stay cool? Uh, when we were up further north, we did. Once you get down to Baton Rouge, the uh, conventional wisdom is it's called Cancer Alley for a reason. You're looking at all these factory discharges and things. So we it's tried gross. to stay out of the water as much as we could yeah. down there. Couldn't help it sometimes when a big ship would come by and like waves would splash us. Mm. But we stopped swimming. Before that, yes, constantly in the water because the water was always colder. Yeah, yeah. And that was a huge relief. And then you, know, you get back in the boat, you're cooking. We, uh, since we bought our boat for this, we literally saw it for the first time 15 minutes before we launched at the headwaters. <laughs> we didn't have any opportunities to modify it and put any sort of a sunshade. Yeah. So we were just completely exposed to the sun. 
Yeah. And this was, I guess, record heat down in the South. And not only was it hot, it was also humid. So we had heat indexes. At one point, the news was reporting 120 in the area we were in. <laughs> we were at that point lying under a tree, just trying to stay in the shade and just try and exist until the end of the day came around. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a challenge, especially because it was just unrelenting. End of the day, we would get in the tent, the sun would go down, it would still be 80 degrees. You yeah. know, your arm would just break out in sweat everywhere. Yeah. We no. couldn't even get in our sleeping bags for those last weeks. We were just lying out on our sleeping pads. Yeah. I had a couple of friends do, there's a ride, a bike ride across Iowa called Ragbri. And oh, I had yeah. some friends do it. And it was really hot. It's always really hot. They do it at the end of July. Yeah. And uh, they were describing, they were like the riding part when you're active, like, it wasn't that bad. You could manage it and stuff like that. But they were like trying to lay down and sleep where you're just like starfished out. And like you're trying to make sure no body part is touching another body part. They're like, that part was miserable. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were exhausted because we were doing, you know, 50 mile days at that point. Yeah. So we could fall asleep, but it's just not very satisfying or restful. Every time I woke up, everything was soaking in sweat. I had ants drowned on my sleeping pad because so much sweat had come yeah it was glorious we were joking when we went back uh you know after reaching burns point and we went back it's like yeah and we volunteered to continue this why did we volunteer for this? <laughs> i have to but, say ants drowning on your own sweat is a new thing for this podcast that i haven't heard and i think that's genius <laughs> yeah you know it's uh at least for me any long trip i've ever done has always had major you know there's always hurdles you're always going to have struggles and you either finish it or you don't. And I usually just go heads down and push through it. It takes a whole heck of a lot to stop. So it was, even when it was miserable, we still had kind of the mindset of, well, we enjoy this. We might not be liking it right this moment, but you know, in retrospect, we'll be looking back and this will be nice. This will be a funny story someday. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like this whole like idea of like, you probably brought your own strengths, Jen probably brought her own strengths. Like, was there any way you guys kind of like, I don't know, it sounds like you didn't get too low mentally, which is good, even though you were facing some hard times, but like, what ways were you able to like pull each other out of it if you were in a funk? Uh, I mean, we tend to get along well, which is good because uh, relationship issues tend to get kind of exacerbated by yeah. you know, 100 degree heat waves and everything like that. Um, she'll laugh at pretty much anything I say, which is usually pretty good. And, you know, that that helps kind of uh, cheer me up. The hardest was actually early on just because I started to have shoulder issues. Yeah. And see, it was, that was the lowest because I was worried you can get injuries that'll drive you off the river. Yeah. And so my, my blow points are usually always at the point where I'm like, oh no, this cool experience might end suddenly and get taken away from me. Yeah. But, you know, most of the time, the, the advantage of having two people is if one person's struggling, you know, she uh, ended up uh, breaking her butt during the last week where she pulled the, her like glute muscle. So I could do more of the heavy carrying. She didn't yeah. have to do as much, you know, there, there's that sort of trade off back and forth it's nice to kind of divide up the camp tasks for things we like and things we don't like doing. That makes sense. Yeah. How does she break her, like pull that? Uh, she has reached that stage of life where she can just stand up and all of a sudden a muscle hurts. 
which I find hilarious because she is 10 years younger than me. So <laughs> she's always the youngin, and I'm the person who's falling apart. So I was just highly entertained. You were like, show. welcome to the wrong. club, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, you didn't stretch today. Welcome to the rest of your life where you're going to stretch all day. You're going to pick up a bag of t-shirts off the floor and you're going to throw your back out somehow. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, man. Oh, uh, well, okay. So a couple other challenges I want to hear about uh mayflies those little hellions i experienced them growing up uh they were terrible but i remember you posted some videos of them like those are some good swarms right there you know we'd never seen them um i i've lived in texas boise uh southern california they, they're not a thing out in those areas the first time we saw them we didn't we were half expecting them. they were going to be like mosquitoes or something like that but I mean, we didn't have to drive on them. We didn't have to clean anything up. The worst we had is one night I was sitting in the tent working on videos. Jen was cooking outside and an entire hatch just kind of <laughs> zoomed in on the tent. So she's out there just like giggling. I'm sitting there like smacking the outside of the tent, making them fly out. Yeah. And then they literally started dying while she was there. <laughs> so she just had to sit outside for an extra like 15 minutes and we didn't have to worry about them like flooding inside. Dude, they honestly, literally, I mean, they were kind yeah. of cool to see for us. They're kind of cool, man. Like they literally are around for like two weeks and that's it every yeah. summer. And my dad's house was right on the Mississippi and it they would cake it. Like they would just cake it and die on it. And I remember always at one point in the summer, we'd have to bring out a hose and just spray his house down. And yeah, man, it, they're, they're pretty wild, but yeah, they're, they're a sight to be seen because once you get probably like a quarter mile away from the river you just don't see them anymore oh really they're yeah that, they're that localized to it huh? they're oh so yeah i guess they're aquatic like, yeah right on the bank they're just right on the bank they're <laughs> only around for two weeks and then you're like well here we go again but yeah the locals were complaining about them for us you know we would go on shore and you would see like patties of them yeah. on things but in the water it's just like okay we'd be floating by a whole bunch of dead mayflies and that was way better than the dead fish we were seeing everywhere so yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. i love the videos i have because i'd tell jen to go over and like shake the bush and she would just start like giggling uproariously as they would like you know come all over her so <laughs> that's awesome man well um yeah i want to hear about the dead fish too did you ever figure out like what what was that about uh, we don't we don't know they they did report one fish kill further up north where a, a power plant had released something and it killed we saw way too many and these were yeah. big fish too yeah. these are like 30 pounds some fish um, best guess is it's just the temperature swings mm. because temperature swings in the water can change oxygenation it seemed like they were all huge ones though and at one point in cape g right before we got nailed by that major storm we had to go through some strainers where we had old wing dams and we were basically just going through two little posts and jen looked over to the side as we were going through this and there were just like hundreds of dead fish Whoa. horribly traumatized her yeah and the rest of the time i mean we were just smelling them everywhere it's just because these rotting dead fish are floating along yeah so that that did kind of hit the enjoyment for a while i wasn't uh, in a hurry to jump in the water and swim no when it's like you know surrounded by a bunch of dead fish but they kind of they came and went a few times yeah so there were days like when we entered the atch the first time they were everywhere and there was lower flow before that we had a couple of weeks where they were pretty much gone so it, it wasn't a constant it was just something we had to deal with off and on that's super interesting though like why that happens and when it happens you know and that nobody was reporting it you kind of expect you know you're seeing hundreds of huge dead fish everywhere 
you're going to like search Google and it's like, you know, a fish kill or something, but no, I mean, we, I had people commenting on the YouTube videos that was probably just temperature based and it happens. So wow. apparently they're just used to, you know, massive fish massive. rotting away as they go down. Yeah. <laughs> That's and there was also wild, something man. where uh, we think it was their swim bladder, but after they rotted away, there would be this little like organ floating down the water. <laughs> what? And, and we were, we kept posting pictures, trying to get people to identify him. We're pretty sure it's their swim bladder at this point. But yeah, it was just kind of like, huh, there's something you Whoa. don't see through hiking. Just like the one thing like the birds won't eat or something? I guess, or it's filled with air. Mm. So the rest of it kind of rots away. You know, they float and then they sink. And I guess that just pops to the surface. So you're like dead fish, dead fish, organ, organ, another dead fish. A good day on the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't sweat the small stuff, right? We're sightseeing. We're sightseeing right now. Oh my God, dude. Well, and then I read, uh, the river alligators, obviously. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. Cause you know, like, I guess it makes total sense, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, where I'm at, where I was from, there's obviously no alligators, but as soon as you get further yeah. and further down, that becomes the thing. Yeah. We started seeing them as far down as Natchez, which I'm not pronouncing it correctly. How do you pronounce it? Uh, that's where we saw the first ones and they yeah. were all over the atch. I've hiked through Florida and other places, yeah. so I'm used to being around them. They're usually not that much of a threat. You know, they go for little things. So unless it's mating season or they think you're a little thing, yeah, uh, they're they're not going to bother you. Yeah. So I mean, that wasn't a real struggle. That was more like, oh, cool. That That's was cool. something that we were really excited to see. Jen loved it when the last night before finishing up at uh, South Pass set of passes, we had one that was kind of hanging around right by the dock. Yeah. So we actually got to get like a good look at it and everything. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, like mosquitoes, those were bad. The gators, oh, the gators, I'm all. Gators, I'm all yeah, yeah. The gators better than mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. And the mosquitoes here, I now have a new level for, I've done a lot of stuff in various back countries and there's like bad mosquitoes and then there's Minnesota mosquitoes to me. Because oh, we, we expected them to be bad. We didn't quite expect them to be that bad. I mean, trying to dig a cat hole in the morning and looking down and like your entire thigh is just black with mosquitoes yeah that that was probably the hardest part just as far as both of us were not quite as happy going throughout the day no now, on I mean, the river during the day it was okay but the evenings were miserable. the camping yeah i uh my dad lives in northwoods wisconsin and we went out to visit him and i do this every time every year because on the gravel roads it's fine like i don't get swarmed by mosquitoes and black flies yeah so I go for my run. I'm like, oh, this is great. But he has these awesome trails right by his house. Uh, these amazing trails in the woods. And I'm like, I'm a trail runner. I want to run on the trails. And so I'll yeah. go out there and I'll be like, they weren't bad at his house. And then within two minutes, I'm completely swarmed. <laughs> and I don't know, like, I don't want to paint too much of a picture here. But when you try to stop to pee, you know? Yeah. And you're instantly swarmed. And then all of a sudden you're trying to do that while moving down the trail to get away from the bugs. It's a pretty comedic scene actually. Yeah. And then you worry about like, you come around the corner and there's a troop of girl scouts. It's like, wait, wait, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can explain. Mosquitoes, mosquitoes. But yeah, I had a similar thing where we were camped in this park and I ran off into the bushes to pee and it was just horrendous because you know, there's times when there's mosquitoes around and those were really like bloodthirsty. Jen yeah. would open the tent just to reach out for something. And I could watch them come through the tent and go straight for me. And they would be on me. Whoa. 
these weren't the like they're around they're occasionally biting these were they were coming for blood they were like somehow they sensed you were there so that combined with the just epic level of ticks up there it uh it was a rough start. The Minnesota Tourist Bureau probably is not going to be a big fan of it. <laughs> oh, man. was So, yeah, I mean, when it's that hard at the beginning, I mean, I guess you have to have this this idea of like, hey, this is going to get better. Like, it's not going to be like this. If we keep going that way, we'll eventually get away from all this. Theoretically, yeah. Or if, if it, it may get better in some ways, worse than others. But, yeah, we, we at least had hope there. Yeah, And we had a break during the day, you know, when we were in the river, on the river, depending on, you know, the section mm-hmm. if we had to walk. Uh, they didn't bother us for the most part. It was yeah. just at the end of the day going in. Yeah. I do want to hear a bit about storms. And it's funny you <laughs> mentioned Cape G because I wrote that down a few months ago. Whenever you posted about that, I put it in notes in my phone because I'm like, I hope <laughs> I get to interview these these guys and I want to hear about that. So can you just tell me that whole entire story? That seemed fascinating. So we hit about a week where it was just constant storm cycle, kind of like what we're having out here in Colorado right now, where, you know, storms will come during the day, they'll form up and they'll shoot by. And generally that's fine. The rain obviously wasn't a problem. It was so warm. We were happy to get wet, but if there was thunder and lightning, we would get off the river. Well, that particular day, we were going by Cape G, huge amount of dead fish everywhere. And we ended up going behind this big island that there were strainers and it got dark. We had to stop. Um, the only safe, the only place to stop was a giant standbar. And we knew there could be thunderstorms, um, but we felt pretty good where we set up. I tend yeah. to be a very paranoid person in general as far as campsites. Yeah. So the picture everybody's seen, um, our tent is actually up on a little bit of a mound, which was what saved us. So we set up and then that night, it turned out there was basically a funnel of storms going straight over us. So it wasn't like there were some yellow and red storms on the radar going over us. There was a line of them and it was going lengthwise over us. And the worst was actually early in the morning. And that is about, I've done a lot in the outdoors. That was about the most worried I'd ever been as far as we might get struck by lightning because it was just going off constantly we're on an island there is no retreating to uh you know town or anything no vehicles or anything uh getting into the water there were actually hazards so that wasn't safe to do at night at one point we did jump out of the tent and try and get to the tree line because there were trees in the center of the island about midnight and you actually couldn't make it the vegetation and everything was too So yeah, we were there and then at one point, so the lightning's been going off for hours and it's just, you don't know if it's gonna hit you or not. You know, we were lower than some other areas, but it's still just kind of a numbers game. And then uh, Jen looks out the tent and there's literally like water flowing straight by the tent. There'd been just a burst of heavy rain and we have to scramble and like make sure the boat's not gonna go anywhere. Fortunately, the tent was set up, like I said, on a little bit of a higher spot. So we had water going underneath us, but it didn't completely impinge everything. Yeah. So yeah, we just had to kind of hunker and ride out the flash flood. And it was significant enough that the river level actually went up for, you know, a week or two there because of that. That is wild, man. That is terrifying. And it, it just, it didn't stop. Like I said, that was the most worried I think I've ever been as far as lightning. And I've been in a lot of kind of yeah situations over the years and i had ptsd after that yeah. like every time we stopped to camp i wanted to make sure we were way back in the trees in yeah. the cover. um but 
then a couple of days um, before or after that, we had had a river angel meet us. Yeah. And we had uh, basically a wind front come through. It's basically where you have just a massive gust where trees were coming down all around us. Literally a branch about that big fell and hit the river angel while she was sitting there. And it just came out of nowhere. It's like, it's rainy a little bit. The wind just starts going. And I thought we'd been hit by a tornado. Yeah. It was that hard. And everything starts breaking. The boat flipped multiple times. It took me a while to find our gear. Like my paddle had gone flying off into the vegetation. Jeez. Uh, so sandbar not good because we're going to be you know struck by lightning and the lightning storms may not stop trees not good because they could just break and everything out there is sand you know it's like spilt yeah so the trees it's not like they're deep-rooted trees that can't come over because i always check for widow makers dead trees things like that yeah these were fully live trees that were coming down combination of erosion and you know everything else wow so yeah for a while it felt like we were damned if we did damned if we didn't so we were trying to set up near trees but not exactly in the fall path yeah wow man so yeah I did... that, that was that was an intense week or so before it calmed down again that sounds intense and just gives you kind of like a new respect for the world <laughs> just the world <laughs> around you you know yeah um yeah severe weather is kind of fun because you know you're inside and it's one thing to look outside and go oh wow look at all that light yeah it's another one you know the world just kind of goes like white when it hits and you've got the crack right over the tent where it's just pain. <laughs> yeah. Really kind of appreciate the force of nature. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and, so I mean, the river's good on that. There was also um, yeah. the, the barges. They have the front of it has kind of a bow yeah. to push the water out of the way. We saw a full on tree that had been in the water, hit that and get just sucked underneath. And this was a parked barge. That can happen to toes and boats. There's been history with that happening to boats, where the force of the water just completely overcomes a full-on toe and pushes it under. Whoa, that is so yeah. There so there were a couple of things like that where it's like, okay, mother nature. <laughs> well, so I wanted to hear about barge safety and uh, you know, like when you maybe not even barge, but like the oil tankers. I mean, they can't be used to seeing two people canoeing down the river. You know what I mean? Yeah, so those were two separate separate things. So the barges were first, you know, yeah. those were when we went through Minneapolis. And the barges are scary at first just because they're so massive. I remember when we caught sight of the first one going around a corner. And you read and it's like, oh yeah, their stopping distance is five times their length. They can't see you because, you know, if you get in front of them, they only have such mm -hmm. a, a visual on it. By the end of it, I had so much respect for the tow drivers, though, because they're not in a hurry. Like if drivers on the road displayed the skills that those guys did, I would like driving a lot. They were always really patient. Whenever we were in the area, they would generally had an eye out. We we had a marine radio that we oh, called cool. out a couple of times. Yeah. But there would always be kind of radio chatter around us, especially yeah. once we got down, you know, around New Orleans. They're like, yeah, there's some crazy kayakers out there. They always called us kayakers. <laughs> So when somebody would see us, they would kind of pass it down the line. Um, the guys would sometimes like pop out of the uh, pilot thing and take pictures of us. So we would wave to them a lot. Uh, we even had one guy call us and say he'd been watching our videos. Yeah. So that, that was kind of cool. <laughs> so those, I mean, we just had to make sure that we were enough out in the channel. We didn't want to be in their way, but we wanted to make sure they could see us. Yeah. If we got really close to a barge, when those are empty, they're about 12 feet up. 
So we could be blocked from their view. They could come around the edge. And that was kind of the sketchiest thing. Yeah. They also move pretty slowly and deliberately. So we never really were at risk of, okay, we need to cross here and a barge was going to hit us because you gotcha. have, you know, predictable. And if they were, even if they were way back, they'd generally slow down just if they saw us. Yeah. The oil tankers, that was a whole nother level. Yeah. Now you can, most people who do the river, as near as I can tell, take the atch. If you take the atch, you exit before Baton Rouge, you never see an oil tanker. It's big barges and then you're on the atch, you got little barges and you're out. That's one of the reasons why people like doing that. Yeah. The oil tankers though are just so massive when you're in a little boat. Same with the locks where you're just like looking up at this thing around you. Somebody got a picture of us uh, where you can kind of see the sense of scale because often it doesn't come through on the camera when I'm, you know, videoing how big it is. Yeah. Um, and they would move so silently. Like those were the ones that could sneak up on us. Wow. We had to be really careful on crossings there because the barges, you hear something, you look back, oh, okay, it's there. Those things can just cruise. And if they're not going full speed, they don't have a wake or anything, but they're moving fast. Yeah. And they're so high up. Like they were normally seeing us. They actually have pilots. They take on a pilot when they come to head of passes. So there is a trained person that navigates the river. And so their communications were always very detailed. Yeah. And once one saw us, they were actually talking to the others. We could hear them. Oh, sometimes. that's good. Yeah. And they would say, oh yeah, downbound left, there'll be some crazy guys in a kayak. <laughs> You'll see them. I was wearing a bright yellow shirt with like, oh, smart. Neon pink and orange. Yeah. So they were able to see me from orbit. Yeah. <laughs> then we never got to kind of like interact as much with them because the, you know, the, the radios for work. So we yeah. didn't get to chat with them as much as we did the barges. How but, many yeah, like, those weird coming were the sketches. expletives were used when describing you you guys? <laughs> uh, actually, they were really professional on the radio. We got okay, that's cool. crazy quite a bit. <laughs> um, the funniest one was actually on Facebook. When we left New Orleans, the guy who had helped us out there, he sent us a Facebook link and he's like, oh, you got to see this. You might not want to check the comments. <laughs> Somebody was on the 27th story of the Four Seasons in New Orleans. <laughs> and saw us coming across in a, in a canoe. And so they started to record and they're going like, what the, you know, not knowing <laughs> what's going on. And there's two giant oil tankers coming around the corner of Aldiers Point. So it's like little us, big oil tanker, little us. <laughs> I don't know how many people saw us that day and thought we were gonna get run over. And the, the comments were just going nuts. They thought we were just some idiots that like bought a canoe and we're gonna go like canoe out in front of New Orleans at the French corner. And we, we actually posted and explained it, and but there was a lot of uh, calling us idiots initially <laughs> on that, which was that's, entertaining. That's amazing, man. Well, okay. And it's always cool seeing pictures of us because we don't get that often, you know? Yeah. So getting video of that and of us in front of that oil tanker, that was really cool in one of the highlights. That's so cool. That's so cool. Uh, and I do suggest everyone go online, look at the picture that you posted next to the oil tanker. It is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, well, so definitely challenges all that and very hard struggles. Some people might be think like listening and being like, that sounds absolutely miserable. Why would anyone ever want to do this? So I do want to hear and kind of wrap up by hearing about some of the like beautiful moments from the river or just like the feeling it gave you that that you enjoyed, you know? I mean, we're at this point, we're, we're fairly productive long distance people, you know, we've survived yeah. multiple of these long hikes 
And it's not uncommon when you look at people setting out, oh, they always wanted to do the AT. They always wanted to do the PCT. They get halfway through and they quit. Yeah. Just the boredom, there is kind of a mental thing where you got to kind of know what you're out what you're out there and that you have a goal and that, you know, you just have to get through the day sometimes. There was a lot of that. But I mean, when you're paddling for 10, 12 hours a day or hiking for 10, 12 hours a day, thing I tell people is wherever the bad spots are, you know, the big hills uh, when you're limping, there's also these just moments and you often don't know where they're going to come. They're not the big... At least for me, they're not the big overlooks that everybody talks about. No, I want to see McAfee knob on the AT. It's just you randomly come around the corner and the sun's just kind of shining through the trees in just that right thing. Uh, You know, sometimes it was just the current would pick us up and all of a sudden it would feel like we were flying uh, past the dams a lot in the headwaters section. You know, we would have to get everything out, carry all the stuff, roll the boat, get it back in, which was a pain, you know, loading, unloading, all that. But then we would be flying through these really just remote uh, wooded sections. Rarely you see a house, if anything, you know, bald eagles were flying over hunting. Yeah. And that, that part was just really cool. And for us, we like camping. Like when we did the AT, we were one of those rare people that didn't like the hostels, didn't like the shelters. We just wanted to camp. And we spent in 75 days, we spent five days off the river Yeah. for this trip. Yeah. Rest of the time, camping on sandbars, things like that. And that so often in the evening, you know, we got there, you just have the massive Mississippi, especially down lower. You're watching kind of the current undulate. You're watching the barges go by in the distance. Um, I'd go swim and we'd just be like watching the sun go down. And those moments I absolutely love. The camping on this was one of the things that sold us on this is something we want to do. Because I I didn't realize there was going to be a green belt for basically the entire, you know, 2000 some miles. Yeah. And there is. Like there are areas with houses, there are areas where the river looks like a a lake, a big lake, a small lake, you know, with houses everywhere. But for a lot of it, we were just out on a sandbar completely by ourselves, maybe occasional barges coming by, just watching the birds and everything else. And and that's why we go out. That's why we do this. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And I mean, to me, I, I I connect to that, like that makes me it makes all the other stuff worth it, the harder stuff and the more challenging parts. And then, but then like you mentioned earlier, like you get off and now you're finished with the trip and you're thinking back on the challenging parts and you're laughing about it and you're smiling about it. And, you know, you get these great stories, you know, it makes for good stories. You know, the memories of the trips invariably, like it was a great relief getting off the river and the heat rash finally going away. Cause we felt like we had fiberglass under our shirts for the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> just low-level misery there. So I was very happy to get off, but we were also sad to be off the river just yeah. because even with all the struggles and everything, it was such a cool thing. Yeah. And when I hit a trip like this that's just kind of singular, there's not that many other long-distance paddles like this. Yeah. So part of me is always, you know, Jen, Jen's the positive one. I'm the more realistic, cynical one. Yeah. But it's always like, oh, I hope, this, I hope there's going to be like other trips that'll be to this level. Yeah. Because I don't know that we'd ever repeat it, but I also hope that there's other stuff like that. Similar. And now, like, we are started looking at, we may pedal the Yukon. I guess you can do 2,000 miles on there. There's the Missouri. So we, we got lots of other plans. But yeah. yeah, still, when you're just enjoying something that much, there is this kind of sense of, oh, I'm never going to be out here again. And that's kind of sad because it yeah. was such a cool thing. 
Yeah, no, that's amazing, man. Well, Matthew, dude, thank you so much. I've been dying to hear these stories. So thank you. And I'm sure you have a billion more. Um, and I would be honored to, uh, to talk with you again, wh whenever I'm sure you're in a very adventurous <laughs> guy, you'll be out doing all sorts of adventures and, and just yeah. got to catch me when I'm in town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, where can people kind of follow along with your journey? I mean, you're about to start the CDT and, um, uh, you know, jump, jump on that. Yeah. Um, my webpage is first church of the um, which is also the name of my YouTube channel. So if you go on that website, firstchurchdamascus.com, that has links to, we are normally posting on Instagram, you know, just random pictures. We do yeah. the daily YouTube videos when we're on trips and has other contact information. Cause we love hearing from people. I mean, that's the cool thing about doing the videos. Yeah. I have a whole collection of emails I've gotten from people just describing like how it helped them through a rough time, oh, that's how sweet. much they enjoy. I, I have an aunt who gets angry when I'm not on trail because it messes <laughs> up her morning coffee ritual. So <laughs> it's a lot of work doing the videos, but that part's really cool. So we that's really like hearing from people. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And you can kind of go on and check out the whole Mississippi adventure on there and check out the videos. I have done, I've been doing the daily videos thing since I didn't do them for the PCT, but I did them for the Eastern Continental Trail. Perfect. So I have daily videos for everything I've done as far as Key West to Nova Scotia, the Mississippi. Yeah. Dude, well, I know I'm going to have to go back and just watch a whole bunch more at this point. I like doing them this way. We do them in the moment because if I'm looking back on it, I you'll, you'll hear like I'm describing, oh yeah, the mosquitoes were so bad. I like trying to capture the feel of it because we want them to look back on because yeah. we want to remember these. Mm -hmm. And after you do something this big, there's always the sense of I'm forgetting so much. Yeah. You know, you have a tendency to kind of like even over some of the, the rough spots. So yeah, yeah, they're a lot of fun to be able to kind of jump in and remember, oh, yeah, yeah, that day, that day, not the best. day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does like in a weird way. And I, I mean, I haven't made videos or, you know, but like even doing the podcast when I've done an adventure and then I've hopped on here and talked about it, it cements it in my mind a little bit more because I've lived with yeah. it again in a different format. And so I'm like the lessons that I learned along the way or the, the feeling of mosquitoes or, or the challenges, like those can stick in a little bit easier, I guess. I, I find I edit the videos every morning while I'm drinking coffee and it kind of helps me process the previous day Yeah, and kind of like think through everything. And then, yeah. yeah. And I, I enjoy that kind of process before I did videos. I did write ups on my website. Same thing. Yeah. Just kind of, that's how I reflect. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful, man. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on dude. And, uh, yeah, we'll be following along with your journey from, from here on dude. Yeah. Th thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you. All right. That wraps up this week's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Huge thanks to Matthew for coming on the show. Uh, he is currently out on the Continental Divide Trail, just crushing miles. And if he's out there listening to this while he's hiking, I just want to truly, truly, truly say thank you. That meant a lot to me as a Mississippi River guy. Um it was awesome to hear and I am just, I am very envious of the fact that you got to do that, even though there were moments that sounded hellacious <laughs> to say the least. Um, but still, man, to be able to go up and down the whole thing would be absolutely incredible. Um, but to wrap up today, 
I wanted to talk about a movie that I've already talked about on this podcast. Uh, I think it was last year we did the the adventure films episode where we kind of did a goofy episode where we talked about my friend Travis's favorite adventure films and he picked some weird stuff. Um, especially for his favorite one. I was like, I don't know if I'd consider that like an adventure film in the way I was thinking of it. But, uh, but I wanted to pick, or I wanted to talk about, um, the one I picked as my favorite adventure film, which is the secret life of Walter Mitty. And every semester I show that as a part of my leadership course because we talk about paradigm shifts and core values and reconnecting with them and things like this. And I think the movie does a fantastic job with that. It shows someone who feels stuck, um, who through adventure and through travel and through experience kind of becomes unstuck. And there's this moment and I watched it this week with my leadership kids and I teared up and I was like, man, like, why did that get to me? And it's this, it's the moment where he decides he's going to be bold. You know, the whole first half of the movie, he's just imagining being bold. He's not, he's not actually going out there. He's imagining himself, um, doing all these, all these things, but in reality, he's pretty timid and he's not taking the leap. Um, and then in the movie, there's a scene, there's a helicopter taking off and he has to kind of decide like, is he going to get on this helicopter and go on the adventure and answer the call or is he going to be timid? And he does it. He, he runs and he jumps onto it and the camera just sticks there as the helicopter is taking off. And you see his face and it's Ben Stiller. He directed it and acted it. And obviously he's been in a bunch of like goofy movies and things like this. Um, And this movie actually has quite a few silly moments. And I'll talk about that in a second. But um, but in this moment, I'm like, dude, this might be like the best acting Ben Stiller's ever done in his life. Even though I think he's a good actor. I'm just throwing out there. He's great in Royal Tenenbaums. He has a line that makes me cry there too. Um. But he gets on this helicopter and his face, he's like shocked. He's like shocked that he actually is doing this, you know, like he does it. He makes a decision. He chooses the adventure and then he's shocked. But it's like a shock mixed with like, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, it it's like full of like self-realization that he can do it. And to me, when I talk to people on the podcast, I'm seeing, I'm hearing about that moment, what that moment was for them, where they realized like, oh, I can actually go out and do these things I've only dreamed of. And, and it makes me reflect and think about my moments, like when I've had that, when, when I've thought that and, and how meaningful that has been in my life. And, and so when I watched that, I like straight up started tearing up and I was like, I'm going to cry in front of these leadership kids. So they better get used to it. Cause it's going to happen many more times this semester. Um, and I love it. I love that moment. And I think that's what makes the movie for me. Cause I've watched it quite a few times now. And I think that's, that's the moment that makes it for me. Um, there's other moments like watching the movie. I'm like, objectively, it's a good, it's a really good movie, but there are things that I'm like, well, that's a little too silly. Like it goes into that a little too much. Um, 
But I'm like, you know what? It's it's one of my favorite movies, and it can't be an objective thing. Like, your favorite movies are an emotional thing. How did it touch you? What did it make you think about? What did it make you feel? And and that movie just gets me every single time. Even even though I can recognize the silly stuff I don't connect to as much, the the things I do connect to are super powerful in that. So so I love it. Um, I just want to talk about it in the outro because we just finished it today in my class. It was fun. Um, but yeah, that wraps it up. Hopefully you guys are out there. You're being bold. Hopefully you're chasing some adventures in your life and, and all that. And uh, yeah, we will get back at you next week.